You're listening to the Better Health Podcast with April, a platform dedicated to coaching women in areas of health, lifestyle, and legacy by speaking with leading health and wealth experts and with the goal to inspire women to thrive in their lives today and in the future. Now, on to today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Better Health with April. Today I am speaking with Jacqueline, who is an endometriosis advocacy coach striving to help women with endometriosis build confidence and to thrive with their lives. So welcome to the show, Jackie. Hi, welcome. Thanks. I'm so excited (laughs) to be here. It's going to be an awesome episode. I'm really looking forward to diving into endometriosis and really um, understanding what it's like to have it and knowing that you've had it, I think it makes it even more powerful. Um, So to get us started and warmed up, I would love to know where are you from and what was your childhood and family like in regards to health? Okay, so I am from a small town in Massachusetts, um, so New Englander, um, born and raised, and I guess from my childhood perspective, I was kind of the sickly kid. Like I always had ear infections and I was the firstborn. So I'm the the Mm -hmm. oldest of two. Um, My brother's three years younger. So I kind of put my parents through the ringer there. Um, (laughs) Since birth, I was like three days late and my mom had been laboring those three days. Um, Had some champagne and lobster and I still wouldn't come out. So... um, Yeah. And that was pre ultrasound. So I had the cord wrapped around my neck, which is why I didn't come out. Um, And then kind of from there, it was like, you know, ear infection after ear infection, sinus infections, just kind of the whole bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, my brother was came out perfect and didn't have any health issues. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it wasn't probably until I was 12 when we really like kind of hit the mother load in terms of like health issues. And that was, you know, when everything started with my endometriosis. Wow. Wow. It must be a firstborn thing because I was very similar. Like my mom gave birth to me and I think I was a breached baby and I took forever to come out. Um, and then my sister, it was like, I think a piece of cake I heard. And uh, so I heard. <laughs> it's, it's always like that. Yeah. The second sibling, I feel like. Always. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, us firstborners, we have to make a make a bang when we come in the world, I guess. Pave the way. (laughs) Exactly. So interesting. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I would love to know what ended up getting you into health. Um, my journey actually. So I, and I don't know if you want me to get into the details now, but that, that was kind of, go for it. All right. So when I was 12 was kind of when I had my first period and a little backstory, like my mom didn't have any issues with her period. So I mm. never noticed, I couldn't even tell you when she was having her time of the month, mm. um, growing up. So when I got it, I, I was a little freaked out because it was mm. not something that was, you know, something that was easily tolerable, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went through a rough patch of kind of just finding our new rhythm with all the <laughs> hormones and all the changes. Um, but it soon became quite apparent that my experience was very different from her experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we engaged our, my pediatrician at the time very early mm-hmm. and long story short, short, probably about six years later, um, I kind of hit rock bottom with my journey. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when I was like, enough is enough. Like yeah. I need to be a more active participant in my um, healthcare treatment plan mm-hmm. and in the developing of it and the execution of it. And Um, no one is standing up for me and what I want. And so Mm. I need to be able to take on that role and I'm, I'm done playing the passive, you know, uh, member in this activity here. (laughs) Um, and then since then I, I started, you know, researching a lot of like holistic methods and things that I could do on my own to help support my own health journey. And, um, but finding what worked for me and Mm -hmm. allowing me to kind of make that shift from rock bottom to having almost 10 years completely pain-free now at this point, um, really sparked that interest for me. It was like, if Mm -hmm. I can do it, if I can go from where I was to where I am now, like everybody can get Mm -hmm. to where I am now. Wow. That that's super powerful and such an encouragement for so many women. I, I just know it is because there's so many that struggle with 
very similar experiences. I would love to know. So it started when you were around 12 years old, when you first got your period and how long would you say you suffered for before you made that choice to be like, okay, something has to change here. So I would say probably the first year I kind of just took the advice of my parents and sucked it up. Um, but I'd say probably within that first year I was already missing school. Um, and I was bleeding for longer than the average week. Um, so even probably at the age of 13, I was probably up to bleeding about 14 to 15 days a month. Um, and in pain, probably two to three of those weeks. Um, so that was, you know, that's not something my mom ever experienced. So she was kind of a fish out of water too. And then my poor dad is the youngest of five and he had, um, only one sister and she was one of the (laughs) oldest. So she was kind of out of the house by the time he, he came along. So he didn't have any experience either. Um, and so that's when, my pediatrician was like, all right, well, let's get the bleeding under control. Let's put you on birth control mm-hmm. and we'll see like how this works. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of my first step into like reaching out for help and saying, you know, this isn't, mm-hmm. this isn't enough for me. I can't go through this enough yeah. uh, anymore. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Wow. So I, I would love for you to give some context of what endometriosis is. Like, I didn't realize that it could start and the symptoms could start right when you um, get your first cycle, basically. That's, that's insane that it can start that young and the symptoms of it. So if you could give some background and context for those that are like, I'm not quite sure what it is, that'd be great. <laughs> well, uh, know this, if you are in that group, um, you are not alone. Um, to this day, actually, endometriosis training is not even required for gynecologists and obstetricians obstetricians. Um, it's not, it's not a required material to learn in the medical community yet. So don't feel like you're behind the ball. If you're someone who doesn't know what endometriosis is. Um, so endometriosis, the, the, I guess, basic term is, um, that tissue similar to, but distinct from the lining of your uterus that normally sheds each month, month with menstruation is found outside of the uterus. Okay. Um, and so it reacts similarly and was previously thought to be the lining of the uterus that had, um, you know, backed up through the fallopian tubes and then germinated or spread, um, throughout the body cavity. Um, but that has been proved not to be, um, the case they have done, let's say stem at the stem cell level research of the tissue as the uterus the lining of the uterus and then endometriosis tissue and found them to be yeah. quite distinct. So they do know that it is different tissue. Um, and they have found endometriosis tissue inside, um, fetuses. Um, hmm. and so we do know that it does exist prior to, you know, your first cycle or can exist prior hmm. to your first cycle, but really that, um, hormonal shift that your body goes through when you go through that first cycle is really what hmm. starts to trigger symptoms. Um, and it is an inflammatory response. So when your body finds endometriosis tissue, mm-hmm. it recognizes it as an invader, but it can't get rid of it. And so then your body starts producing this inflammatory response saying, Hey, you're an intruder, get out of here. Um, and it tries to, you know, it heat swelling, um, mm-hmm. blood flow to that area. Um, and then you hit into a chronic inflammation cycle because your body Mm. isn't removing that foreign body. And so with chronic inflammation, with other diseases, we found that, um, autoimmune diseases are actually side effects of chronic Mm. inflammation. And so a lot of the symptoms that we as endometriosis warriors or sufferers, (laughs) um, we actually tend to have a lot more symptoms that are related to the side effects of endometriosis existing rather than the endometriosis itself. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Very interesting. So it sounds like, you know, it could be, um, kind of like genetic in a way where it, it carries on from the mother. So that that's one way you could kind of know that you're more susceptible to it. Um, but are there any people in particular, women in particular, that are more susceptible to endometriosis? 
That's an interesting question. And it is still, I mean, the lack of funding in this area is frustrating mm-hmm. because there are so many women um, yeah. who end up diagnosed. We're actually one in 10 worldwide. Um, wow. So a lot more than um, one might think. Yeah. Uh, and still there's not a lot of research going on. But what we do know is that it does tend to be familial. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, my grandmother on both sides um, apparently had similar issues, um, but none of the my mother or my aunt, um, neither one of them had issues. Um, and then I had issues. Um, so it can skip several generations. I do know a lot of women whose great grandmothers have had, um, issues documented, but you know, for a couple generations, it wasn't there, but then I know families of, um, you know, a mother an aunt and all three of the female, um, offspring, they all have endometriosis and other things going on. So um, whether genetics predisposes you to it, I don't know if they have found that clearly um, defined yet, but it does seem to tend that way. Yeah. I I know I've gotten my genetics tested and one was specifically towards hormones and a test geared around that. And they did have some endometriosis um, facts and like um, tied it to that as well. So I, I guess I'll have to look a little more into what they exactly examined with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like a lot of it is genetic. Um, so what are some of the symptoms that women experience when they have endometriosis? It sounds like a lot of um, very prominent symptoms, but yet at the same time, I'm, I'm not quite sure. So I'd love to know a little bit more about that. Yeah. So endometriosis is fascinating in the sense that you know, typically with diseases, let's take cancer, Mm -hmm. you know, you have stage one and that means the growths are quite small and, you know, you might not be even experiencing symptoms at stage one. And then you have stage four where typically the patient is experiencing full blown effects. They're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're those two people stage one and stage four, you can tell that they're in different stages of this disease. And with endometriosis, it's fascinating because someone with stage one endometriosis um, which again, just has to do with the, mm-hmm. how invasive the disease has grown. Um, mm-hmm. So someone with stage one has, you know, very little invasive growth. Um, mm-hmm. And someone with stage four obviously has fully infiltrated. Mm-hmm. Um, someone with stage four can actually be walking around perfectly fine, huh. experience little to no symptoms. And someone with stage one can be chronically disabled and not be able to get out of bed because of their symptoms. Um, so that's something that I find super fascinating, um, about this disease. Again, taking myself out of the situation and just looking at it holistically, like, yeah, that's, Mm -hmm. that's very fascinating. But typically I'll say with the women that I work with, with the women in support groups, um, Mm -hmm. with my own experience, um, pain being number one, Mm um, pain in, uh, certain areas, ovaries for me, um, actually mm-hmm. ovulation was more painful to me than mm-hmm. actual menstruation. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard that as a common well, theme. Was it like really painful cramps? Was that what it was around ovulation? Um, it was. So if I say, April, what does a cramp feel like to you when mm-hmm. you, when you have period cramps? What does that feel like? Yeah. How would you describe that? I would say kind of just like an achiness um, around your reproductive organs. I mean, some more severe than others, but just, I would say achiness, achiness. to describe it. Yeah. yeah. So um, when I get asked, and this is an interesting question that I, mm-hmm. I will encourage those of you who have endometriosis um, friends, friends with endometriosis, mm-hmm. I would encourage you to ask them what their pain is like. Mm-hmm. And the first time I got asked this question, I was kind of taken aback because I, yeah. no one had ever asked me that before. Mm-hmm. But when I think about it, it's like there are three to four large Chucky Edward Scissorhands type <laughs> people inside my body. And they have a competition to be the first outside of my body. And so they are clawing with their, Ed, you know, Edward Scissorhands or Frank, <laughs> yep. Freddy Krueger fingernails, you know, to try and get out of my womb or, um, you know, my stomach or my back, like it is like knives or like grapefruit, grapefruit spoons, like scraping my insides to try and get out. So it's not an ache for me. It is a very, um, sharp, acute. Kind of like a scraping, like you were saying. Yes. 
scraping. Interesting. That's probably okay. the best way to describe it for me. It's like okay. slicing and scraping. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. And so you experienced it more during ovulation. Did you experiencing did you experience it like about the week or a few days before you actually had your period? Um, so at the I'll say at my worst, I was bleeding for three weeks a month and I was in pain mm. for four weeks a month. So mm. I had no relief. I mm. couldn't even tell you when mm. yeah. I was supposed to get my period. Like when you're on birth control and you're trying to stop the bleeding, um, yeah. you can go to take continuous birth control. So you skip that placebo um, week. Okay. And the goal here is to try and shut off that mechanism, right? And mm -hmm. see if you can start regulating it again to be this once a month. Yeah, right. You know, thing. Right. And so <laughs> um very early on, I'd say I was 14 maybe. Okay. I went to continuous birth control and I had been on continuous birth control. Technically I still am. Um okay. so a very long time. Um, um but I do track now um, a little bit differently. So I am okay. able to see my body still goes through the chemical production of, mm -hmm. you know, PMS ovulation, mm -hmm. and I am able to ovulate. And that's something that okay. not everyone with endometriosis right. can do. Wow. Um, so I'd say if I had to guess, I would probably say, yeah, probably two to three days before I was ovulating until six to seven days after I was ovulating. Wow. And that would be my key pain week of the month. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. So it wasn't like a one-time deal. You sleep it off and then also the next day you're like, okay, I'm feeling better. It was continuous. Yeah. Wow. And then your, your sense of normalcy kind of shifts. And uh -huh. so when people are like, so how are you today? Like, <laughs> what's your pain level at? I'm like, I'm a five. I feel really great mm -hmm. today. People yeah. are like, five. <laughs> that's not great. And I'm like, yeah. for me, that is excellent. Yeah. Five is like, I'm functioning as a normal human being. Wow. Um, wow. So yeah, it's a little tricky. You get, you get a little mm. lost in that when you're, you know, trying yeah. to track, but also trying not to bleed. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That, that could definitely be hard because like, like you were saying, you don't have the typical 28 day cycle. I mean, when you're bleeding for over a week, that'll throw things off for tracking, let's just say, and then experiencing the pain as well. That's, that's a lot that's overwhelming to be able to understand and track where you're actually at. Cause you know, it, it's not like you have the typical cycle. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> definitely wow. Makes things a little tricky. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, okay. So like thinking about when you started like taking those steps to um, healing, um, what would you say the first few steps for women with endometriosis or if they think they have endometriosis are to take? Like, I mean, obviously you don't want it to be too overwhelming, but what are those first steps that you would advise? Um, great question. So I always start with advocacy. I think mm. it's one of, it can be one of the hardest things to learn um, someone to self-advocate for themselves in their healthcare. Um, but it's also the most impactful thing that you can do for yourself. Mm. And this will serve you in other ways, in other aspects of your life. It'll carry over um, naturally, mm. organically into other aspects of your life. And just, you know, we're taught and conditioned to say someone who's been to medical school knows more than I do. And typically that is correct, right? They mm. went to medical school. They have 18 years plus of training. They did a yeah. fellowship, a specialty, blah, blah, blah. I would say 99% of doctors who specialize in endometriosis will tell you, and even, even probably 90% of those who don't specialize in endometriosis will tell you that the patient actually knows more about the disease than they do. Hmm. And so own that, like hmm. your experience counts, hmm. your experience means something and you know your body better than anyone ever will. And this goes for, you know, not just women with endometriosis, right? Yeah. This is just your experience as a human. Hmm. No one will ever know that experience except you. Yeah. You know your body better than anyone. Exactly. And so own that. Be proud of that. Your body is talking to you all the time. And if hmm. you listen and you understand how to listen, then you can advocate for yourself and you can say, you know, this doesn't align with what I want. Yeah. Okay. The birth control may help stop my bleeding, but the side effects I, that 
that's not a good cost benefit analysis for me. So I don't want that option. What are my other options? And keep asking those Mm -hmm. questions. And I think it's, like I said, it can be really hard for some people to take on that role as being a self-advocate. So I would Mm -hmm. say, if you're not there yet, bring a friend, bring someone Mm -hmm. who can advocate for you. Um, I will always advocate if somebody reaches out their hand and says, Hey, I need an advocate with me, or I need help planning for this doctor's appointment, or I need help talking to my support system about this. How can I go about that? Mm-hmm. I think the easiest thing is a understand your objective. What do mm-hmm. you want from this meeting? Mm-hmm. What do you want from this appointment? Write yeah. that down. Then write down every single question, just brain dump all of your questions that you have, whether it's to your family, your friends, your support community, your medical community, whoever it is, brain dump all those questions. Yeah. And then say, all right, I have 15 minutes or I have half an hour or however long you have. What are the top three things that I want to get out of Mm -hmm. this meeting? What are the top three questions I want answered? And have that be your script. Write them down. Bring them in with you. Don't be afraid to look at your notes. I mean, (laughs) we we all bring note cards with us every day. We have our phone. We have the notes app. Um, They're not going to think anything different of you. They're going to be happy that you have information to bring Mm. to them. Mm -hmm. Um, help better inform them in making their decisions and how to treat you. And so if you're being an active participant, even in just asking the questions, Mm -hmm. that's going to help build your confidence. That's going to help build that relationship with whomever you're talking with. And then everything just flourishes. If you can think about it that way, what's your objective? Brain dump all your questions, pick your top three, and then bring your notes and write them down. And Mm -hmm. as you go through, yeah, some questions you can maybe just speak on the fly to because you feel comfortable because you know your body, you know the evidence that's bringing you to ask that question. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you still have to write them down. I mean, me, I've been doing this for 20 years and I still write down all my (laughs) questions before I go into a doctor's visit or my community. So um, I say don't be scared to write things down and to bring it with you. Right. Uh, That would be where I would start Mm -hmm. for sure. That's a great, and that's such a beautiful outline. I mean, you laid it out so well. I mean, taking responsibility over your own health is, you know, the dominating um, quote, I guess you could say, theme, theme, thank you. That's the dominating theme and being willing to say, you know, I don't like that option. Uh, What are my other options? Don't, you don't have to accept just because the doctor says, have surgery. Okay. Well, the doctor told me to, so I'm going to do it. Like, no, like be curious, investigate and think through and like get more diagnoses from other doctors, whatever that may be. Third opinions, fourth opinions, fifth opinions. Don't be afraid to ask more questions. That's one of my, like my, Mm -hmm. my founding pillars in my business, holistic academics. So Mm -hmm. what we talk a lot about is curiosity. And if you come from a place of curiosity to ask these questions of yourself, of your Mm -hmm. family, of your friends, of your medical team, whoever it is, if you come from a place of curiosity and be like, okay, that's an option, but why is it an option? Mm -hmm. Why did you present this option to me and have them explain to you? Because let's be real. Mm -hmm. They are working for you. You are coming to them. You are paying them. They work for you. They went to school for 20 plus years. Like let them use that knowledge and have them explain it to you. And if they're not willing to explain it to you, then maybe they're not the person who should be handling your healthcare. And I think that that's, you know, that's easy to say in the U S I think more times than, you know, in Europe or in Canada where they have a public health system and they just walk in the doors and that day they get whoever's on on the, mm-hmm. on the call or, mm-hmm. you know, available. Yeah, yeah, they don't get right. to pick and choose necessarily who their doctors are, yeah. but I think the same rules apply. You go mm-hmm. in, you start having that conversation. If you don't feel it, walk away, mm-hmm. come back another day, make another appointment, yeah. go to functional medicine, you know, find, mm-hmm. find ways to find people that you align with, because mm-hmm. if you don't align with them, then that bond of trust is never going to be as solid as it would be Mm. if you find that person who can answer your questions and who makes you feel, you know, heard and listened to. Right. Right. They actually listen to what you know about your body because no one, like you were saying, no one knows your body better than you do. They don't know the stuff you're feeling or um, the symptoms you're experiencing unless you say something and finding that connection with someone is so key and just realizing that it's okay to not accept whatever you get the first time. 
It's yep. huge. And I love the layout of the objectives and the questions um, because oftentimes I'm like, yeah, uh, whatever it may be. I mean, it doesn't have to be in health. Be like, yeah. yeah, I don't need to write questions down. I've got them in my head and then I'll meet I'll with remember someone. remember them. <laughs> exactly. And then the same time, all of a sudden I'm meeting and I'm like, oh man, like I, I wish I wrote those down because it's yeah. like you just blank out. Yep. So that's huge. That is such an important step. I, really great. I love that, how you laid that out. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, definitely something uh, I didn't start out doing naturally, of course. Um, no. But it, I think that's the best part of my journey is I lived it. I had to do all the trial and error. And now I can cut through all the fluff yeah. that I had to go through to get to where I am and just say, no, this is the straight line. You don't need to go like zigzag up Machu Picchu. Like you can just <laughs> drive the straight line up to the top of the mountain yeah. and take advantage of all the best, you know, things that come from that. Totally. Totally. Oh man, there's, there's so much we can talk about. I just, I, I just love this so much. Um, before we dive into some myths that are very common, I, for those that are listening that maybe all of the different hormonal disorders, whatever you want to call it for women, may be a blur for them. Could you um, just discern and give us a few key points of what's the difference between PCOS and endometriosis? Because that could be like just kind of balled together without yep. realizing those are different. Yep. <laughs> so I'll say, um, I think we were talking earlier, it's, it's yeah. one in 10, right? So one in 10 women worldwide. Um, and it's not, I shouldn't say women. I, mm -hmm. I should say people because it's not limited to women. Um, it's not limited to people who were born biologically female. Um, it's a non-discriminating disease, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it takes on average in the U S 10 years to find a correct diagnosis of mm -hmm. endometriosis. And the reason for that is like you said, there's mm -hmm. a lot of there's a lot of layers of symptoms that are going on, right? There's digestive yeah. issues, there's hormone imbalances, there is mental health, um, mm. you know, impacts, right? Like you get through this isolation, you go through this whole experience, people are telling you it's all in your head, like mm. depression, mm -hmm. anxiety, PTSD, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. it, it all compounds, right? And until you start peeling back those layers to really mm. understand, is this a symptom or is this the root cause? Mm. Um, I think that's a lot of the times where the PCOS and endometriosis kind of converge a lot of yeah. times. Yeah. Um, so PCOS is a hormonal imbalance, I'll say. Mm. Um, and I know a lot of women who have actually corrected, um, their PCOS and who manage it very well. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I know women who have a harder time with that. Yeah. Um, so endometriosis is that physical tissue that's growing outside of the uterus that sometimes mimics the lining of the uterus. PCOS okay. um, has a lot of the same symptoms in that the pain in, the, in your um, reproductive organs, you have the hormonal swings, you have the brain mm -hmm. fog, you have a lot of the same, um, shall we say, side effect symptoms, yeah. um, but the root cause is, is different. And okay. it's, there are some women who have both. Um, but it's not until you find someone who's going to do the work with you yeah. to do the hormone testing, to read the results, to work with diet and nutrition, to try and understand, mm -hmm. is it the endometriosis or is it the PCOS? Hmm. That's interesting. Wow. It's interesting that they can be very similar and tied together in ways as well. So I'm glad that you laid yep. that out because I'm sure that's can be a blurry area for many people. Um, yeah. Like, oh, is it this or is it this? Or maybe it's both, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's great clarification there. Um, so I would love to know now, like, what are some of the myths behind endometriosis? There are a lot, um, I'm sad to say. But I think a lot of it comes from, um, you know, not a bad place, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Again, fascinating about endometriosis. Um, I think I mentioned earlier that not every, um, gynecologist or obstetrician has endometriosis training. Mm -hmm. And so, and there's not a lot of research. And so that goes for the patient community just as much as it does for the medical community, which is mm -hmm. unfortunate. But what happens then is that these old understandings or theories behind the mm -hmm. disease have stuck as kind of rumors or, you know, yeah. um, uh, anecdotal, uh, okay. medicine we'll say. Yeah. 
Right. And so the biggest myth that I find that I still am told happens. I just had like two months ago, I was just talking to a 14 year old and she is in Australia and she has been in this group. Uh, and we've been talking for two years. Okay. Mm -hmm. So she started her journey the same time that I started my journey. A lot of the things that she is coming up with and telling me are the same things that were told to me 20 years ago. So when she said to me, Oh, I saw my third opinion. Mm -hmm. My third opinion told me that I need to get pregnant because Mm -hmm. if I get pregnant and I give birth, my symptoms will be gone. I'm like, you're 14. She's like, yes, she told me that that was my best option. And I was like, that's not your best option. Right. (laughs) Um, Having children before you're ready (laughs) is never a good thing. Yeah. Um, We love children. Um, Yep. yep. We we love them. But at 14, I mean, granted there's adoption, but still, I mean, that is a crazy journey. I mean, that's, it's not just a one-time, one-week deal. Like, no. Keeping your child for nine months and giving birth. And there's a lot that comes with that. There's a lot. <laughs> and then similarly, you know, she's like, well, I asked what my other options were. And so she told me to have a hysterectomy. Oh my I'm like, goodness. you're 14. Yeah. And this is what's being offered as a cure. Wow. Because if you go through this procedure or if you have this yeah. child or if you do this, then your endometriosis symptoms will be gone. And that's totally not the case. There is no mm-hmm. cure, unfortunately. There is mm-hmm. absolutely no cure. There are mm-hmm. hundreds of women in menopause, like natural menopause. They went through mm-hmm. their, you know, their good years, their birthing yeah. years, and they naturally went into menopause. And their endometriosis symptoms are actually worse than wow. what they were when they were in their prime. Um, mm-hmm. And endometriosis does feed off of estrogen. Okay. Um, and so that's that's one of the reasons why non-estrogen containing birth control um, is mm. usually an option that some physicians will go for. Okay. And that's why they thought that, and you know, going into menopause naturally or chemically induced would mm-hmm. be helpful is like, we're taking away the estrogen from, mm. from the endometriosis. So it has nothing to feed on. Right. So obviously if we take that away, then it'll mm. just die off and it won't be bothersome. Anymore. Yeah. But that's not mm. the case. Wow. Um, so wow. it's so surprising to me that the things that were told to me yeah. you know, are still being told as that, cures. That's crazy. That's, that's incredible. I mean, and to think we are in two th- almost to 2021 and yes. the fact that it is still a, a very unknown gray area for so many and those are the options right now. It's, it's a little yeah. insane. Um, and yeah. thinking about like how, you know, estrogen does tie a lot to it to it. And a lot more women I know genetically are predisposed to having more estrogen and maybe not the better estrogen as well. So, you know, it's tying more and more in my head, at least that it is a genetic thing. And, um, so, so very fascinating. Wow. It's, that's just crazy. Um, are there any other myths that you're like, Oh, this one as well, or were those the Um, biggies? I will say that birth control also is not a cure. Mm. Um, and birth control doesn't treat endometriosis. None of these things that we're talking about yet have talked about treating endometriosis. Okay. We've talked about them treating symptoms, Mm -hmm. right? Like the idea of getting pregnant, you're in nine months, you're not going to have a period. So your body's not telling the lining of your uterus to grow and thicken every month and then shed. Mm -hmm. So the thought process there is, well, if your body's not telling the lining of your uterus to do those things, then maybe the body's not telling the endometriosis tissue to do those Mm -hmm. same things. And so, okay, pregnancy, nine months, no period, it should help with your pain and your symptoms. But again, not treating the endometriosis. Hmm. Hysterectomy, same thing. Let's remove that organ that that tissue is similar to Mm-hmm. In hopes that your body will not tell the endometriosis tissue mm-hmm. to kind of become inflamed and, right. and you know, right. do what it does. <laughs> um, and then um, same thing with menopause, right? We can, mm-hmm. I know a lot of women who go through um, chemical induced menopause, mm-hmm. um, again, thinking removing all that estrogen is going to trigger the body Mm -hmm. to tell something different or not communicate with the endometriosis tissue. But again, it's not treating Mm -hmm. the endometriosis. It's treating a symptom. It's treating one part. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so birth control kind of does the same thing, right? It's limiting the, the amount of communication. You know, if you're going on continuous birth control, it's not, you're cutting that communication every month to that mm-hmm. tissue. Um, and there are a lot of success stories that come from using birth control to manage pain. And I will tell you, I was on Lavora for, and I had tried 15 different types of birth control before I landed on Lavora. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was on Lavora for 10 years and it was a godsend Hmm. to me for managing my pain. It wasn't managing all of my symptoms. It wasn't, you know, helping to cure me, but it was giving Mm -hmm. me some relief. And that's the reason why we stayed on it was because Mm -hmm. I was finding relief. But again, I don't think that there's a lot of communication between Mm -hmm. what is being offered as the treatment plan and why that's being offered and how that's supposed to help you. And so there comes, there becomes this community that's like, oh, birth control or Mm -hmm. Lupron or Oralissa or whatever the new fancy drug name is, is going to cure my endometriosis. Mm -hmm. And, and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Yes, it could give you pain-free days. You could live a much, mm-hmm. you know, better quality of life. Mm-hmm. But that's not treating. The it's not. Of- it's not necessarily like putting out the fire that you may have going, and maybe you know suppressing it a little bit, but you still have that fire as an analogy yep. going. Yep. Wow. And that's why you know you go for those of us who have gone through surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of different ways to go about it. There's ablation Mm -hmm. where you burn the surface Mm -hmm. and then there's excision where you cut out the endometriosis itself. Um, and excision is the number one gold standard in terms of, um, surgery for endometriosis. The theory behind ablation is that if you just burn the surface, it's like a Mm -hmm. weed and you know, the, um, like uh, roundup, or yep. any other kind of pesticide, right? You yep. spray the top layer and that goes away, yep. but the root remains. It's still there. Yeah. And so a lot of women experience um, ablation surgery. And then mm-hmm. two months later, six months later, they're like hmm. in the same amount of pain. And then they go back in and they keep, they keep going through that surgery. Now yeah. from a big pharma standpoint, that makes a lot of sense. Let's, mm. let's push yeah. ablation, right? Right. Um, but if we're talking about gold standard of treating endometriosis, yeah. by cutting it out, you're removing that root and yeah. you're, and then you hope that whatever genetics or origin or whatever it is that's causing endometriosis yeah. doesn't reroute somewhere. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So wow. yeah. There's a lot to it, a, a lot. lot to a it. Lot. And it's just like taking those little steps, little by little to just grasp the concept and then dig a little ask deeper, dig a little deeper, ask the questions, talk I to always, others. Yeah. Yes. I always say that people are always like, cause in my day job in my nine to five, I, mm-hmm. I work in contracts. Okay. And so, and I work with program teams, like they're developing these cool things and <laughs> I'm just the contracts person. Right. And they're like, how do you know? what question, like, how do you know all these things? And I was like, I don't know anything about what you're doing, but what I do know is the questions to ask come Mm. from a place of curiosity, ask the question and then listen to the response. That response is going to give you ammunition to ask another question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you just ask questions until your curiosity is satisfied. It's the same thing with endometriosis, right? Or the same thing with any illness or any kind of adventure, medical adventure you're going on, right? You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be curious and ask the questions until you feel comfortable with what those answers are. For sure. Yeah. Wow. Definitely. I mean, it's just a lot of taking responsibility and being able to stand up for um, whatever you're experiencing, your health. Wow. Yeah. So much to it. And uh, before we start to wrap it up, I would love to know, yeah. you know, for those that are like, well, is there any way I can, you know, help my endometriosis, like by suppressing a lot of pain through food or um, just diet and nutrition? Yes, April, I love this question. <laughs> so I would say that the two biggest things that helped me on my journey was first advocate, learning how to advocate for myself. Mm-hmm. And the second thing was um, nutrition and diet. Okay. So I don't like to call it diet because it really is it has to be, um, what you're eating on a regular basis. So, mm-hmm. um, food in general, mm-hmm. I, I like to call it food. Yeah. Um, so I would say once you figure out that you can heal your digestive issues, yeah. 
you're going to be healing a lot more than just those digestive issues. And it's Mm. going to give you the mental clarity to kind of just wake up. Mm. It's, it's like waking up as if you're sleeping beauty, right? You Mm. been in this slumber, you've been walking through this haze, this cloud, and all of a sudden when your gut clicks, Mm. the brain fog lifts and it's like, Oh, (laughs) I can breathe again. Like I can think clearly. Okay. So then, combine that with the advocacy, ask the questions, and then you yeah. feel more confident. And it's like, okay. And it's baby steps, little by little. Mm-hmm. I'd say, um, you know, traditional medicine uh, phys- physicians, they'll say, mm-hmm. you know, eat healthy, mm-hmm. get a good amount of sleep, exercise. Yeah. Well, what, what does that mean? Yeah. Happy. Right. Right. What, what, what are, what are the um, circumstances behind that? You know, it's not yeah. just like eat healthy. Well, what is healthy? What is healthy? What yep. does that mean? What does that mean to me? Um, So for me, I stumbled through this journey. So I do it a lot differently with my clients now, but Mm -hmm. I personally started with um, JJ Virgin's diet, the elimination diet. So she says like, you know, the top seven most common food sensitivity causing foods, Mm -hmm. uh, gluten, soy, sugar, um, dairy, Mm -hmm. eggs, peanuts, and did I already say gluten? Is it? Corn. corn. Okay. Yeah. corn. Corn. So you take um, the first like 28 days, you don't, Mm -hmm. you remove all of them. And then uh, each week you pick one Mm -hmm. and you slowly introduce it into your diet for that one week. You just, you know, you add gluten back in for a week Mm -hmm. and you log your symptoms. And if you, and your body does take up to 36 hours to have a reaction to food, which is Mm -hmm. why you want to test that over a longer period of time. Yeah. And then you slowly introduce each one and then you figure out, okay, long term. Mm-hmm. What are the ones that I need to cut out yep. and what are the ones that I can add back in? Yep. And maybe it's some of them and maybe it's all of them or maybe it's none of them. But I was testing myself um, at least twice a year for food sensitivities. And it was mm-hmm. things that I was eating just uh, in my day to day, mostly um, milk and cheese. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately. Right. Right. Unfortunately, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Take all the fun stuff, why don't you? Yep. Thanks. Um, <laughs> those were the biggest things that made the biggest impact. And the minute mm-hmm. that I took them out for those 28 days, yeah. like my life just changed. And mm-hmm. I'd say now what I do with my clients is I'm working hand in hand with a functional nutritionist. So we actually run nice. tests. We, yeah. we run gut hormone, um, and food sensitivity testing. It's a okay. full panel. Um, so you don't have to go through the elimination diet and kind of test food. <laughs> one by one. You can have the easy access. Like this is it right here. <laughs> 193 foods we test nice. um, as standard. And then we kind of develop meal plans and kind of lifestyle functioning. Okay. What's your favorite meal before you found out about the testing and how can we make mm. substitutions for that? That's going to hit all like hit all the good food groups right it's gonna not hit any of the things that you're sensitive to and it's gonna be delicious Mm. and you're gonna want to eat it Mm. and that's how i've approached it is like tell me all the things you love eating because i'm a foodie too like i ditto (laughs) and if you're gonna eat it and you're gonna fuel your body with medicine then you should be able to enjoy it Mm. and so that's kind of the approach we take now is like well Give me all the list of the stuff you're eating now that you love. These are non-negotiables, right? And let's make endo-friendly versions mm. of these foods. Um, and then the whole family is on board, right? It's not just mm. you on an island changing yeah. the way that you eat. It's yeah. your family, and it's enjoyable mm. for everyone because the food is good. It's something that's recognizable, right? Yeah. Like eggplant yeah. parmesan. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you can make yeah. – totally different uh, spin-offs of eggplant parmesan yeah. that's going to be endo-friendly and it's going to be mm. fun for your whole family. Yep. Um, so wow. yeah, sustainability and those small steps. It's like yeah. those small little drops are eventually going to fill mm. your cup. Yep. And you would much rather fill your cup slowly as mm. opposed to opening the fire hydrant <laughs> and trying to fill your cup, right? Yep. That's, that's not sustainable. Mm. Um, and the goal is sustainable pain-free days. Mm, wow. The, so many key takeaways. And I just love how you take an optimistic um, viewpoint on it. And that is so key and taking it step by step, not just starting everything all at once, because you're going to get overwhelmed, you're going to get stressed out. And that we all know is not going to help the case no. um, <laughs> at all. So wow, great, great points. And 
I, I mean, there's so much we could dive into, but you really um, touched all the key points I feel for getting a grasp of endometriosis. So really helpful. I know for me and I'm sure many other listeners. So thank you for that, Jackie. Thank you, April, for having me. (laughs) Of course. Let's um, wrap it all up by entering our rapid fire questions. (laughs) So the first one is who is the most influential woman in your life? And they could be um, past or they could still be alive today. Oh my goodness, April. (laughs) Um, you know, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna go rogue on this one. I'm gonna mm. pick my um, my college <laughs> chemistry professor. Oh, wow, um, Maria Curtin. Um, I was hardcore in high school, like languages and foreign mm. languages and English, oh and you know, not yes. the sciences. I was not yeah. the science person. I almost <laughs> failed out of physics. Like I had to, like, you not know, gonna lie. <laughs> not gonna lie. That's not my thing. Yep. Um, but she and I worked together the summer before I was supposed to take her class. Mm-hmm. And she taught me how to love chemistry. Mm. And I helped her create our curriculum. And wow. so we approached it from, actually, we created cohorts. So we had, mm. um, you know, art, uh, chem- art and chemistry. We had okay. food and chemistry. We had wow. um, uh, environmental um, like we, they took oil from some car and they turned it into a renewable resource. So we had these cohorts of all these different like aspects of getting into science and we kind of just made it up on the fly. And so she definitely heavily influenced my life in terms Mm. of getting to be curious and saying, not saying no to something just because it's hard, Mm. come at Mm -hmm. it from a completely different angle and then come at it. And I think Mm. a lot of that fueled my, experimenting with endometriosis Mm. and kind of pushing me to look at it from another angle. Yes, Mm. I may be in the worst of it right now, but how Mm -hmm. can I be curious and ask questions to come at it differently? So yeah, yeah, Dr. Maria Curtin, Mm. you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely have to send this her way and be like, hey, like, you might want to listen to this for some odd reason you mentioned in it. (laughs) That would be amazing. And it's, I, I love that because it's like, just because you reached a dead end in one area, don't, don't say no and just be like, oh, I'm done. That was it. And I'll be all like, there are other um, routes that you can take. And yes. that's great. That. Yep. Oh, wow. Great message from her. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Alrighty. So you're going to have a lot of fun with this one. Just knowing okay. that we're both foodies. What is your favorite food? Ooh. Okay. So mac and cheese definitely was the first thing that came to mind. Um, that was probably from a childhood. Now, mm. originally pre-endometriosis, <laughs> I'd say craft. But I make a killer vegan baked mac and cheese. And so that was the image that came up in my head. Mm, It's just so comforting too. You definitely send that my way because I've been wanting to try. I love baking and cooking so much. um, But a vegan mac and cheese, I have not yet done. And it's been on my list. So I would love to try your recipe. and Yeah. Perfect. Jackie, you got me. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Alrighty. Are you a past, present, or future thinker? Ooh, okay. So mindset shifts happening currently. I used Mm -hmm. to be a very much past thinker. I lived in the past. I held on to the past. Um, And this is, I think is very much in line with my journey with endometriosis. When I first started, I was like, why is this happening to me? My life used to be like this. If I was still like this, this is what it would be like. Um, And now I'm very Mm. much present based. Mm. I, I think it was so detrimental to the way that I was handling, holding on to that past thought and holding on to those things that had nothing to do with my reality right now. Mm -hmm. And it was me being a procrastinator and I needed to free up that space to be open to receiving much more and Mm -hmm. being thankful for the moment that I'm living in and knowing that I can't control anything pretty much. I can control (laughs) my reaction to my circumstances, Mm -hmm. but outside of that, um, and I'm a recovering um, control freak. So (sighs) Um, this is, I think a big step. Uh, but now I'm very much a present thinker. 
Mm. Very, very much a present thinker. It's amazing. That's cool that you've seen the transformation of your own self of making that shift. And it's, it's really nice, really encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> um, this one you're also going to have fun with knowing that we both love to travel. So favorite travel destination or dream destination that you would love to go to? Oh, okay. So favorite destination, um, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Mm. Absolutely hands down my favorite place I've ever been. Um, mm. The people, the food, the culture on yeah. Sundays, it's um, feijoada and samba. So they have buffets oh. um, <laughs> of food all day <sighs> and salsa music and samba music and just uh, Sundays in Sao Paulo. Mm. Definitely check it out. <laughs> um, my dream location, I think, would be Dubai. It's on my oh, list. I yes. haven't been. Um, yeah, so post-COVID, that's, I think, going to be my first stop. It's on the list. I, I, <laughs> I would love to go there, too, because, I mean, it's just crazy what they have going on. It's so big. I mean, from, like, indoor snowboarding and ski resorts, which is insane, and, like, the hottest place in the world, basically. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> we, we just all we have to do is just yeah. be like yep I yeah. know I get you <laughs> <Yep. laughs> love it and then the last question are you a reader and if so what are you reading right now Ooh, yes hardcore <laughs> I have a goal of 12 books this year oh, I am nice. three away um I am currently reading um Louise May god what's her last name <sighs> you can heal yourself okay um I am also reading Think Big and Get Rich. And oh, I'm also yeah. reading um, Becoming, which is Michelle Obama's um, biography. Wow. Nice. So you are, you're, you're definitely going to make I'm your on track. Book. I, I'm Good. On track. Wow. That's, that's skill to be reading three at one time. That's, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Good for I you. 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night. So I switch nice. it up. Nice. That's awesome. That, I love that you have a routine for that because I mean, myself included, like, I'm sure there are many where they're like, I love to read and I do read maybe like every day, maybe every other, but like developing a routine is really key. And so that's, yeah. that's good to hear. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jackie, I've just loved this so much. Um, how can listeners connect with you? So I am on Facebook and Instagram at Holistic Academics. Okay. Um, and you can always reach me via email support mm-hmm. at holisticacademics.com. Um, or at www.holisticacademics.com. Nice. That'll all be in the show notes as well. Wow. Thank you so much, Jackie. I mean, you have experienced it and now you are advocating and that is amazing. And you're taking those steps and um, such a true leader you are. So thank you for being on. This has been an honor. (laughs) Thank you, April. It's been so much fun and I'm so happy that you guys have a podcast, better health and talking about all these things that we should be having conversations about. Um, So thank you so much for having the platform and, you know, spreading knowledge and and wisdom to everybody. Of course. Thank you. You're welcome.